Okay, you can take your Bibles this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're getting right back into it. I am back from vacation, and I'm glad I'm back. And uh, now Greg this morning uh, singing, you know, this week he was diagnosed with pneumonia. And he's on antibiotics, so he's not contagious anymore. But uh, it's... Uh, he was deciding this week whether he should do uh, the praise team or not because he was sick, and he decided to do that. So that's kind of like, to me, that's like a soldier, you know? A soldier, when the bullets are flying, they, they don't scatter. They are there. They watch your back. And so I appreciate that, and uh, thank the Lord for that. And those who uh, preached for me, Brian and uh, Greg, uh, I would appreciate you guys filling in for me. I didn't have any care in the world when I was on vacation. I just sat back and enjoyed the time and the rest and uh, thankful that the Lord has given uh, men to uh, preach the word of God. All right, so this morning we're going to get back into Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 19 through 24, although I will not be developing some of the last part of that text this morning, but I've been looking at really this, these last couple of messages on foolishness and wisdom, walking in a way to avoid foolishness, and this morning looking at, yes, looking at the visible manifestations of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So let me read the text, and I'll begin with verse number 17. Of chapter 5. It says, So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Let's pray. Lord, this morning... As we come before you as your people, Lord, make us ready to hear, to think through the implications of the Word of God, to think through, Lord, the commands that are given to us, and then, Lord, how would they look if we put them into practice? And I pray, Lord, that you would enable us by your Spirit, that as you, Holy Spirit, are sanctifying us, that we would be bearing the fruit of what it means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So today, Lord, we, we want to cast our care upon you and our anxiousness upon you. And we ask you, Lord, to guard our heart and mind with peace so we can think on things that are of good report, things that are worthy of praise, things that are virtuous, things that are kind, things that have to do with you and your character and what you're teaching us by your Spirit. And I pray, Lord, as we do that, you would make us your people who bear the image and likeness of Christ. And I pray this in your name. Amen. 
All right, so in looking at this text, one of the major reasons why we're saved, one of the reasons why God saves us is really to, to worship God. We are saved to worship. And that means that part of worship is not just listening and singing praises. It is that, but it is also every day walking with the Lord. The conduct of walking and living carefully, as Paul had already mentioned in verse number 15 of chapter 5, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. See, looking, in other words, carefully at what you see, at what the Lord is doing, And then ultimately in verse number 17, why are we not to walk a foolish walk so that we would understand what the will of the Lord is? What is God's will? The Holy Spirit of God has been given to us so we can know what the will of God is. Now that's his part in making us like Christ, but our part is to conduct our living filled with the Spirit or controlled with the Spirit. Now, I mentioned, by way of review, that includes living free of the flesh, living free of sinful controls. That's why there's a command there, don't get drunk with wine, or don't live, uh, for this is dissipation, or don't live a riotous life, because a drunken Drunkenness shows that a person has an inability to to control themselves. They are controlled by all these foreign substances, and so therefore they commit all kinds of acts that they were actually saved from uh, in coming to Christ. And then also they are to practice, to give themselves over to the disposal of the Holy Spirit, that they would be consistently controlled by him. That also included living in the fullness of Christ. And living in the fullness of Christ means that God dwells in us in such a way that he actually controls our thinking, our feelings, our actions. Everything is affected when we are walking in the Spirit of God. When the Word of God is transforming us, a word that the Spirit of God himself has written and given to us, it also means that God dwells in us in such a way that we have a desire to know him more. We have a desire to more know him better. It also means that God dwells in us in such a way that we are increasingly being conformed to the pattern of the fruit of the Spirit of God. We know, we know that from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It also means that God dwells in us in such a way as to satisfy us. One thing that is so, so very important as we are walking in the Spirit is that we have a great satisfaction in God. The Spirit of God is going to focus our attention on God himself. He's going to be our satisfaction, not possessions and things and others, uh, but he himself And of course, it also includes living with the evidence of the fullness of God. And so that's what I've been looking at in Ephesians. I've been looking at the evidence of being filled or controlled by the Spirit of God. In other words, that there are results that come to us that can be seen 
when we are walking in the Spirit, there are, in other words, visible manifestations of being filled with the Spirit of God. And our immediate context shows us what that is. Now, before I look at that, I want to remind you that there have, are two essential reasons why it's necessary to be filled with the Spirit of God, and that the first one is it's for our own maturity, that the Spirit of God will mature us as we gain control over the flesh, as we understand more of what God has done for us, and we're controlled by that, it affects everything in our life. Also, it's essential for the believer's service. If I'm going to serve people, and if I'm going to serve God correctly, then I must be controlled by the Spirit of God. And of course, that leads to three factors. The concept of being filled of the Spirit of God includes, it's a command, we have an imperative in verse number 17 or 18. Don't get drunk with That's an imperative. But, of course, be filled with the Spirit of God. That's an imperative. That means it's a command. Also, it is conditional. There are really no conditions related to the indwelling or the baptism of the Spirit or the sealing of the Spirit or any other ministries of the Spirit. The filling, though, is conditional. Obedience to other commands of Scripture are necessary in order to be filled with the Spirit. And of course, it's, that means it's going to be repeated, right? It's a present imperative, meaning that there's going to be a continual filling of the Spirit. Be ye continually filled with the Spirit of God. That's something that should apply to us every day. Every day we should ask ourselves, today I need to give myself over to God so I can be filled and controlled, not by my flesh like I used to be, not by my sinful passions like I used to be, not by the world system that's pressing upon me every day and trying to get me to think like it wants me to think and do what it wants me to do and agree with what, what they're doing, that that's somehow right and good. But no, the Spirit of God controlling us so we don't listen to the world and we don't listen to our flesh anymore, but we are listening to the voice of God. So in a way, we are excluding all other voices that are competing for our attention and we begin to listen to God. And as we do that, the Lord begins to teach us what it means to be filled. So see, see, there are several commands, but there are certain things that we ought to be careful about. Conditions to be filled is that we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. All right? We are warned not to lie in Ephesians, not to be sinfully angry or pro, have prolonged anger. We are commanded not to be bitter or unforgiving. And when believers do these things, they actually grieve God's spirit. So see, sin, in other words, grieves the Holy Spirit, and so sin will prevent a believer from being controlled by the spirit or filled by the spirit. Another thing, condition is we are not to quench the Holy Spirit. In the context of Ephesians, this passage relates to the ministry of the Spirit, that the believer is exhorted to pray without ceasing, to be thankful, to uh, not despise the teaching and the explanation and preaching of the Word of God. And when believers do that, when they actually quench God's Spirit, they 
throw kind of cold water on the fire of the ministry of the Spirit. And so the Spirit's ministry is then hindered and therefore hinders the ministry of that particular individual. Also, the Bible tells us right here in Ephesians and then also in Galatians to walk in the Spirit. That if we walk in the Spirit, that we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so there, there are other conditions added to those, and some of those are confession of sin. Of course, that should come with it. And then also, also dedication of believer to God every day, dedicating ourselves to the service of God. In other words, giving ourselves over to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, because that is our reasonable service of worship. Our life is to be a sacrifice to God. And so therefore, the Spirit of God brings, brings us to a place where we see the command to be filled with the Spirit of God. And what we want to see now is how does that look? How can I see it in my own life? How could you see it in your own life? Well, thank the Lord, right here in Scripture it does let us know that there's four results. There's four visible manifestations of being filled or controlled by the Spirit of God. And I covered several of them already, but I want to go back over by way of review. And, of course, the first one is found in verse number 19. And remember, here's an imperative, and this imperative is bearing four participles. All right? We find a participle usually has an I-N-G at the end of it. Not all the time, though. But here, the first one, if you notice in verse number 19, it says very clearly and simply, it says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So that is the first word. We are to speak joy outwardly, that our outward expression of joy will arise, we'll find in the next one, from an inward expression, speaking to one another, that here is an, uh, a word in which we are, in a sense, commanded in the spirit to converse with other people. This is how it's going to look. I'm going to be speaking. It implies the purity and joyful simplicity in which Spirit-filled believers confer, converse with one another about their Lord. Now, it's, it's difficult uh, to discover the exact distinction between the three forms of praise given in this passage of Scripture, but there is definitely a Trinitarian connection for, if you notice, how are we to speak? Well, we're to speak outwardly in Psalms, all right? That is... A psalm spoke of the nature and the work of God the Father. And right, Brian was preaching on that the last uh, two times, and he let you know that we are to come, let us come and sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout jo joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us shout joyfully to, to him uh, with psalms. So it, it's an understanding of the character of God the Father, and therefore the Psalms are written with that in view, that people went and worshipped God with the songs they sang, which were filled with theology, and filled their minds, because they didn't carry out 
around books back then. They didn't have libraries to go to. They remembered it, and they repeated it, and they sang it, and they sang it to remember, and remembered the character of God. And, of course, the next word is that of a hymn, all right? That's directed towards the redemptive work of Christ, God's Son. So we have the Father, and in the hymn, we have the Son that is in view, compositions by the members of the early church, and even today, people are writing hymns uh, that are produced under the inspiration of the Spirit of God that tell forth who Jesus Christ is, what he has done, what he's promised us, and what is accomplished for us in Christ. That's why we sing praise hymns. We try to pick those praise songs in a way that uh, convey to us theological truth that we can remember, that we can think about during the week. And then, of course, the word spiritual songs uh, seem to be directed at the Holy Spirit or things pertaining to the Spirit or what the Spirit is doing in behalf of exalting Jesus Christ. See, that's why it's considered in Scripture as a new song or a song of the Lamb that the Spirit of God tells us in Scripture what the Lamb has done and what the Lamb signifies and how the Lamb fulfilled all the Old Testament types and sacrifices, and it was all fulfilled in Jesus Christ's one-time perfect sacrifice in behalf of his children forever and ever. And that's what we're singing about, and that's what we should start enjoying now and talking about now because we're going to enjoy it for all eternity. The implications of what Christ did on the cross has eternal significance. So spirit-filled believers converse with others, exhorting them to worship their Lord and practice a Christ-conscious life. Practice a life controlled by the Spirit of God. So the heart indicates in Scripture not so much the place as the manner and the attitude in which we are to sing before God. So a wise believer is aware that there is a difference between worldly joy and Christian joy because the world's joy is derived from pleasures. It's, it's really... Uh, it's really delusive. It's, it's short-lived. It's, it can be taken away. It can be given away. Where Christian joy is a joy that comes to us, given to us by God himself, by the Spirit of God, so that means his joy is a supernatural joy. It's a joy that comes from God, and of course, as it says in Scripture, for the kingdom of God is, is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace, and what? Joy in the Holy Spirit. So when someone, when a believer get, has the indwelling of the Spirit, all believers have the indwelling of the Spirit, right? But they can grieve the Spirit. They can quench the Spirit. They can cut off the joy that God wants you to, you, you already have, and he wants to give you more of that joy, and we cut that off by think that we can enjoy our sin more than we can enjoy God. See, that's the big lie of Satan. It's the Lord that gives us a joy that nobody could give. See, because the source of joy is God himself. For the psalm says, Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than 
when their grain and new wine abound. It's not by those things, but it's given to us by God. And of course, it's mediated through the Spirit of God. It says in John 17, but now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. So there is a, God has given us, but there is a, a, our part, a man's side of joy, because we have to realize that it comes through the word of God. It says in scripture, these things I write to you, so that what? So your joy may be complete. So apart from the word of God, if you keep yourself from the word of God, you are actually keeping yourself from the joy that God wants you to have. So it's gonna come through the word. Also, see when the trials come in our life, usually we begin to say, oh no, God must be against me, or I've done something wrong. No, the Lord is always with us. Matter of fact, that joy is always in, mixed with trials in our life, where James says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. So the trials of life have been providentially given to us by God if we receive them with joy and consider them, think about them, Think about them, that it is all joy when God does that. He's doing it to teach us. He's doing us to discipline us. He's doing it to make us more like Christ because it will ultimately produce hope in our life. That, as it says in Romans, that <clears throat> hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So in Scripture, it is a command also to be obeyed, rejoice always, and joy is one of the things that supports and aids even our physical well-being. Christians are to have a joyful heart. And a joyful heart is beneficial to our physical and our spiritual health. As the psalmist tells us, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. So that's the first one. So you may, may want to ask yourself the question, am I joyful? Am I outwardly joyful? Because your outward joy is going to depend on your inner joy, and that's why in verse number 19 of Ephesians chapter 5, it tells us the second result or visible manifestation of being filled with the Spirit. And what is that? It's that of singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. See, as our life becomes more like Christ, we find ourselves consistently repeating and rejoicing over the truths of scriptures, don't we? And then, see, we end up singing them. We end up humming them. We end up whistling them, which really capture biblical concepts, biblical teachings, biblical principles. And so the, the silent music of a rejoicing heart is finally accompanied by the lips of praise. So, see, we really can't praise God outwardly. We can sing songs. We can sing praises. But is it really coming from your heart. See, the music of the soul cannot be heard by people. It cannot 
directed toward people or intended for their hearing. It first must be intended for the Lord. It is for the Lord. It is directed to him and will be pleasing to him if it is directed by his spirit. This means the object and focus of a spirit-filled person is the Lord himself. Not their problems, not themselves, not their circumstances, but the Lord himself. They are occupied with spiritual things. They are meditating upon the enjoyment of spiritual things. They have joy on the inside that is expressed outwardly in fellowship to their family and to the brethren that are around them. And when the focus of the believer is the Lord, which it should be, then Christian joy is present. And when Christian joy is not present, you know what you need to look for. You need to look for sin. Because when joy's not there, you're sinning. You're enjoying something else besides what God has for you. You're enjoying someone else besides the Lord himself. In spiritual fellowship, we address one another not with worldly speaking, but in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It starts in change thinking about God, about the Lord, and it moves our will, and then our will moves our affections, and then when that stuff's moved, it comes out of our mouth. So when you really are growing and being controlled by the Spirit of God, you will have outward speaking to one another about the character and the things of God, but you will have an inward joy, which that outward speaking comes from, that will be there no matter what's going on in your life. It is not something that's controlled by outward circumstances. It's this miraculous, God-given joy that is there. Do you have it? I'm asking you, do you have that joy? Is that joy there? Do you recognize it? Do you see it? Is it a visible manifestation to you? And then, do other people see it in your life? See, if you're always complaining and grumbling and whatever else you're doing, and that's always coming out of your mouth, then what you're telling us, what you're telling yourself, is that there's no inner joy. You've been thinking about stuff that is robbing you of your joy. You have been engaged in your mind in things that are not beneficial to spiritual growth or to rejoicing or to worshiping, but you are actually doing what the flesh dictates. The flesh, it's easy to grumble and complain. Flesh has plenty of things to grumble and complain about, right? This didn't happen. Oh, man. Blah, 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 blah. That didn't happen. Blah, blah, blah. I, I didn't make enough money. My car broke down. I can't pay my bills. Whatever it is, if you are consistently engaging in that, then you are actually grieving God's spirit and quenching God's spirit and are not experiencing joy. So when it comes to corporate worship, you're dead, man. You're, you don't, you don't, can't sing. I don't want to sing. 
I don't want to sing. I have nothing to sing about. Well, see, the Spirit of God in the Word of God is saying that's all wrong. In fact, you, you're, you are your worst enemy. See, the person I have to be concerned about the most is the one who walks under my hat. And that's you. See, so we're looking at ourselves, and we're saying, are there visible manifestations? And see, the point is this. If there's not, I want it. I want the joy. I want to be speaking like this. I don't want to be engaged in all these negative, demeaning types of thinking that just drag me down to the pits and keep me there. And you know what? Satan's very happy when you're like that. He says, I can't take their salvation from them, but I sure can make them miserable. And he'll give you everything he can to make you miserable. But you know what? A Christian who understands the word of God, who wants to be controlled by the spirit of God, what are they thinking? I'm not going there anymore. Sorry. I'm not thinking like that anymore. I'm going to think about the good things that God's been giving to me and doing for me. I'm going to think about this so great salvation that brings spiritual implications into my life that has eternal significance. You know what? I don't have to worry about death because God's taking care of that for me. I don't have to worry about what's next because he's taking it. See, when I begin to think about this vast plan of God that, that he's accomplished on my behalf because of the cross, I don't have to go there anymore. And do you? Yes, every day. There's plenty of worry, it says in Matthew 6, every single day, right there at your, soon as you step out of bed, multitude of worries, right? What am I going to do with those worries? Either I let them control me, or I say to the Lord, Lord, today I want to be controlled by your spirit. Today I want, you, I want those worries to know that you're greater than them, that you promised that if I seek first the kingdom of God, you'll give me all the things the, that I used to worry about in the, as a Gentile, as a, someone who wasn't saved. And you said, they're yours. Seek me first, and I'll add them to you, right? And I'll do it in such a way that it will be amazing to you, and you will have your joy to see it. Joy often, when our joy is robbed, often our sight is robbed too. We can't see what God's doing. All we can see is the negative things going on in our life. And so, therefore, we cannot go to the next place the Spirit of God wants to bring us to. And what, what place is that? Well, look at verse number 20 of chapter 5. Here's the third visible manifestation of being controlled or filled with the Spirit. And notice what it says, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God even the Father. So you see, rather than being discontented with what we have, we actually take pleasure in our God, in our salvation, in our home, in our family, in our possessions, in our occupation, because we know it all comes from his hand. There's nothing that is going on in your life that God does not know about and has providentially ordained for you. You realize that, right? See, when we live there, when we live before the eyes of God, then we are not so quickly duped by our own flesh and by the world and by Satan himself. 
there are few times and few circumstances in which we should we do not give thanks. In fact, the spirit-filled believer has actually a thankful character about them. They're always thanking the Lord and the Father for all things. It, it is true, though, that a grateful person is a godly person. That godliness and gratitude in all things go hand in hand. Now, a spirit-filled believer is thankful. Thankfulness becomes a key in worship. So brethren, when we worship God intelligently, we know that we, we know, number one, who we are, and we also know who he is, and we then also know what we are to do. This makes for a satisfied and a happy and a joyful people. Now, I want to I just look at one quick example from the Old Testament. Look at Psalm 100. Now, Psalm 100 is a, a very short psalm, but it's packed with stuff, and I don't want to look at the whole thing, but just by way of, of looking at what these people did, what Israel did in their worship, and how they came to a place where they were able to do this, I want you to notice that it says in verse number one, shout, this is Psalm 100, shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Now look at verse number four. Because of that, because of what they knew about God, they were able to assemble and then reverently worship because notice what it says. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Now, the words gates and courts represent the temple of God where men and women approach God's presence. The heart of these people were engaged as one becomes excited to come into the presence of God with an attitude because of what they knew about God of thanksgiving and praise. And then you notice in verse number four, it says also there, give thanks to him that the mind is engaged as the worshiper is overjoy by the God's works and the gifts he gives them. They have nothing but thankfulness to him alone. And then in verse 4, it says, what do they do? They bless his name. This is significant because the word bless means to kneel or to bow low to an exalted name. In other words, they're only able to bow low to the one and give worship to the one who they understand. That in real worship, we understand who we are worshiping. And so, once they get to that particular point, why do they enter and give and bless? Well, there are three specific reasons that are mentioned in the text. Look at verse number five of Psalm 100. It says, the first one is that the Lord is good. Now, is it that hard to understand that the Lord is good? 
is the Lord good? Well, see, we got to know that. But see, we can know it in just a theoretical way, or we can know it in a theoretical and a practical way. We need to know both those things. We need to know the character of God. That, let me say first, generally, that the basic trouble with the church today is her unworthy conception of God. That a local church will only be as great as its conception of God. To have a high view of God is paramount for real worship amongst God's people. An individual Christian will be a success or a failure depending on what he or she thinks about God. And see, the reason why we so quickly slip into complaining and grumbling is because our understanding of God is quite low. It needs to be raised up. As Scripture raises it up, in this sense, the people understood, listen, we're coming to worship you because you're good. To say that God is good means that God is is a God who has a kind heart, that he has a heart infinitely kind, and that there's no boundaries to his goodness. To say that God is good-natured or good and kindly of nature means that he is infinitely so. God is, is not only infinitely good, but he is perfectly good. God is never part way anything. When I say that God is kind-hearted, I mean that he is perfectly so. I do not mean that there are ever times when God isn't feeling good or isn't kind. And I joyously announce to you that what God is, he is immutably. God never changes. God was, what God was, what God is, is what God is. What God is and was, God will be. There will never be any change in God. So that means that the goodness of God means that he cannot feel indifferent about anything that people are indifferent, but God is not indifferent. God either loves with a boundless, unremitting energy, or he hates with consuming fire. So you ask yourself the questions, listen, why was I created? Well, the goodness of God created you. Why were we not destroyed when we sinned? The only answer is that God in his goodness spared you. Why would God, the eternal son, bleed for you? The answer is out of his goodness and loving kindness. Because out of his goodness, out of his good acts, according to his goodness, he bleeds for you. And he does it out of a loving heart. And so therefore, I can worship God. And why does God answer prayer? Because of his goodness, because of his loving kindness, because of his good-natured benevolence towards me. Why? Because he's God. This, who he, this is who he says he is in his word. That, that means that he is the source of everything. The first reason why these people worship so joyfully and thankfully is that they understood that God was consistently and regularly and daily good. Here's the second thing they saw. In verse 5, 
his loving kindness is everlasting. In other words, that the Lord is to be a nurse, a caretaker, a helper. Think about this. God's not revolted about, he's not revolted by anything about you. You may be revolted about yourself. Matter of fact, I heard a songwriter say uh, about his wife, the only thing I like about me is you. It's not a bad way to think of it. But see, when it comes to God looking at us, he's not revolted by anything about you in Christ. So that means God can never be against you. In his own nature, he cannot be. He always has to be for his children. He always has to fight on their behalf. He always has to defend them. That he wills that you joy along with him. That the everlasting marvel and the high, overpassing love of God is an irresistible love. And out of his goodness, he sees us perfectly in Christ, even though we are not perfect. He sees us that way. And he wants us to be glad in him. See, this joy has to be how I understand God. Am I glad in God? God wants to actually please us, his children. He is pleased when we are his children. He is pleased when we are surrendered to him, when our will is his will, when he wills his will in us and through us, when we are not in rebellion, when we are not seeking our own. See, God loves to please his people. Even when we are those things, he is for us because we are in Christ. You ever see a father bring gifts to his children? Or do you ever see a lover bring gifts to the bride or a husband, uh, someone who is engaged to bring gifts to his future bride? How does he do that? He wants to please her. He wants to love her. He wants to give her the best. He wants her to have joy. See, the idea that God must always make you miserable is not a biblical idea at all. You know what it is? It's your idea. It's the world's idea. It's Satan's idea. It's not a biblical idea. God wants you to be joyful. He wants you to be filled with joy. He wants you to be overabounding with joy. He wants your cup to overflow. See, we have to ask ourselves, if it's not, why? If it's not, why? And then, of course, there's the last thing that moved these Israelites to worship with such joy, and it's simply this, that his faithfulness is to all generations, and its faithfulness is not going to run out. See, God being who he is cannot cease to be what he is. Therefore, he cannot act out of character with himself. He is at once faithful and unchanging, so all his words and acts must be and must remain faithful. Upon God's faithfulness rests our whole hope of future blessedness. Without that, there is nothing. Only as he is faithful will his covenants stand and his promises be honored. So you know what that means? 
That means a spirit-controlled believer, because his mind has been changed as to who God is and what he has done in their behalf, they see all things as coming from the hand of God. Why? Because God is good, because God is always kind, because God is always faithful, and when they begin to understand that and live by that on a daily basis, then, then they begin to offer up thanks to God. That means if your old jalopy doesn't turn on when you hit the starter. That means, means if you have a serious problem in your family. That means if you just lost your job or a loved one. Those are difficult times. But the Spirit of God is given to us that a Christian who is controlled by the Spirit of God can have joy and can be thankful to God. It has been said that thankfulness is the least of virtues and ingratitude the worst of advices. It is probably thought to be an easy virtue, and yet there are few people who are distinguished by thankfulness. If I say to someone, are you thankful? But if I say it, if you understand it on the basis of what the Bible is saying, are you thankful behind the scenes of what God is doing and what he has done for you and who he is? Are you thankful for that alone? Then people would say, what are you, what are you talking about? There's no God. I haven't seen him. See, that's how most people live. So that means if they're thankful, they're thankful, thankful about their bank account, how much money they have, what possessions they have, they have good health. They're, they can be thankful for a lot of things, but it's not rooted in what the Lord has done for them, what God is doing in their behalf, how providential he is on their behalf. See, there are a few people who distinguish this character of thankfulness. It was the Apostle Paul in chapter 1 of Romans who, who said to us, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or what? Give thanks. They're not thanking God about things, I'll tell you that. It is tragic, but it is true that there is little thankfulness in this world, often not so much and not so often in the church either. Maybe that's why there's so much world in the church and not enough Holy Spirit in the church. But believers who are controlled by the Spirit are characterized by consistent thankfulness. That the Spirit-filled believer, because they are rooted in Jesus Christ and grow in Christ Jesus, then they also grow with thankfulness. Paul said in Colossians, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. The Greek word translated overflowing or abounding or being exceedingly rich in or being outstanding in or to excel in. 
It's almost like saying to a spiritual believer, you are an expert in thankfulness. Thanking God for the little things. See, we have to be careful. We have to be careful as Americans specifically that we are living in an entitlement society. And living in an entitlement society can very well rob you of the spirit of thanking God. Because an entitlement society is taught that they have the right and they deserve things. And so therefore, when we live like that, we are robbed of our joy. At least we give it away. Everybody heard of Johnny Erickson Tata, right? She's a wonderful Christian lady who is completely paralyzed. She was not always like that. It came from a diving accident where she dove in and hit her head and she became paralyzed, completely paralyzed. She learned, as she said once, to be meticulous about thanking God about the little things. She says, you do not realize that there are times when I would give everything in the world to simply be able to scratch someplace that itches on my body. See, how many times have you thanked God? How many times have you thanked God for the ability to scratch someplace that itches? Probably never, because it comes like an automatic reaction, right? You know, whatever you want to do. But the thing is that just think about somebody like her. She has a point. See, we take for granted of things like that. And many other things we take for granted of, and we end up practicing in our life on a regular basis in gratitude instead of thankfulness. See, we need in the church for people to be overflowing with thankfulness, to be experts in thankfulness, to have such gratitude towards God, especially now in these difficult days, because, again, Paul told young Timothy, who was going to pastor the church at Ephesus, but realize this, that in last days, difficult times will come, for men will be ungrateful. That means that the world's ungratefulness is going to abound, and if you have too much world in the church, it'll get right in here, and no one will be joyful. No one will be thankful. We don't want that to happen, do we? So we don't want that to take place. We want to be people who are characterized by people who are thankful and know how to be thankful and know why they're thankful. Because this thankfulness in our passage of Scripture, if you notice it, 
It says this, always giving thanks for all things. How? In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So we have the Spirit controlling someone, and then we're doing it in the name of Jesus Christ. And, of course, to the Father, we have the Trinity again mentioned in Scripture that someone who is controlled by the Holy Spirit is someone who is exalting the Lord himself. And that's why they're thankful. Now, there's only one last one that I want to mention, but I'll not spend a lot of time with it. I'll pick that up next week. There's a fourth result or manifestation of being controlled by the Spirit, and that is, that is submitting. If you notice what it says in Scripture, it says in verse 21, it says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. It's the visible manifestation of submitting. The supreme condition of being filled with the Spirit of God is to be surrendered, to be in submission to Christ. The knowing and the doing of the will of God is included in that. And the term be subject is actually used in a military sense of a soldier submitting to his superior. So technically, it refers to willfully put oneself under a leader. That when someone is controlled by the Spirit of God, they are going to willfully put themselves under God's ordained structure of leadership. See, there's a divine order that we are to submit to. That Christians are controlled by the Spirit of God first in submitting to the Lord and then giving themselves over to how God arranged things. In other words, when I begin to see who God is and what he's done, I begin to see something else. I begin to see, you know what? God has arranged everything. He has left nothing undone. And so therefore, I don't think this one could be first in these four things. I think this one has to be last. Because if you are someone who is speaking outwardly joy and you're speaking inwardly joy and you're thankful, then you know what? When it comes to this, I already know God is a great God. I know what he's doing in my life. And if God says to submit to leadership that he has put in place, then that's exactly what I want to do. I want to willfully do it. I want to joyfully do it. I want to, with thanksgiving, do it. Thank you, Lord, that you give me some blueprints here. So see, submission to one another would imply that one is willing to submit to those who have authority. Whether it be in the home, in the church, or in society. And that's exactly where Paul's going with this whole context. Because if you notice in verse 22 of chapter 5, look what he says. Uh, Where's the first place authority structure in marriage? Wives and husbands, wives be subject to your own husbands. We'll look at that at a future date. Secondly, in chapter 6, in verse number 1, in the family. That means children and parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
And then a third area could be society or in the broader household of your family, servants and masters. In verse 5 of chapter 6, slaves be obedient to those who are your masters. So all of us are called to positions of authority and positions of subordination. Every single one of us are, and we have to deal with that in all walks of life, every one of us. But why do we kick against it? Why do we not do this? Why is there so much confusion in marriages as to whose role is lead in the marriage between a husband and wife? Why are children always kicking against the leadership of their parents and want to do the opposite of what their parents want them to do? Or why is it someone who has a master over them doesn't want to listen to the master when God has put that person in place in their life? See, the Bible is saying, listen, when you're controlled by the Spirit of God, you not only will have an outward speaking of joy and an inward relationship of joy between you and the Lord, but you will also be thankful for everything in all circumstances and be willing to submit whatever authority structure God's placed in your life. And when you do that, it works like a fine-oiled machine. When you don't do it, it's like throwing sand in the gears and you're wondering why your life don't work as a believer? Well, here it is. You have been quenching and grieving God's Spirit. It's time to be controlled by the Spirit of God. Is it not? For this reason. So these things can be visible manifestations in your life that you can see, and when you see them in yourself, and then others see them in you, then you want to talk about rejoicing? You'll come over and you'll blow this ceiling right off here because of your joy. That's not coming because you got bet a, a good uh, interest rate on your home or because you made a few bucks in the stock market or because, you know, you got a new car or you got whatever you like. It's not because of any of those things. Those things don't matter at all. It's because of what the Lord is doing in your life and he has his attention on you and the spirit of God's working. And you realize I'm not the person I used to be. I'm different the way I think. I'm different what I'm doing. I'm different in my actions. I'm different in my speech. I'm different when I'm laying on my bed at night, not thinking about or worrying about everything, but joyful about what the Lord has done and what he's doing and what he's going to do. You're anticipating what he's going to do. Wow, if the Lord could do this, what else could he do? See, that's how we want to think as a church. See, then we'll begin to see that there is nothing Nothing impossible with God. That's who we want to be. I think I'll end it right there this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you today for the word of God is so, so convicting, Lord, to know that we have not always fulfilled these things. We have not always seen these visible manifestations in our life. Matter of fact, Lord, we, we may be able to be characterized more by the other stuff than this stuff. But Lord, as true believers, as those who know you as Lord and Savior, we don't want that anymore. 
Lord, today we want to give ourselves over to the Holy Spirit of God's control. We want, Lord Jesus, the Spirit of God to take hold of us so that we are joyful outwardly because of the joy that comes inward in us understanding who you are, what you've done for us. And that, Lord, our thankfulness comes also from that, that you are good and that you are faithful and that you are a God who's full of loving kindness toward us. And that cannot change. You cannot change in those things. And we praise you for that, Lord. And then of submitting ourselves to the structure that you've given. So, Lord, things would work as you designed them. And I pray, Lord, as we look at those texts in the weeks to come, (coughs) that you would enable us and help us to every day when we get up to give ourselves over to the Spirit of God's control so we may walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I pray this for myself and for your your dear people here today. So, Lord, that we may come back during the week and that we may see that outward expression of joy in our psalms and in our hymns and in our spiritual songs. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together.